0: Praise the Lord. Father, thank you for this day, for your precious word, for your children who you've given to come to this place of worship, to receive of your word, to grow in the grace and knowledge, to experience your love and healing and wholeness and blessing, prosperity. And we just thank you, Lord, for opening up our hearts and minds to receive with gladness the implanted seed of your word that it would take root and bear fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Ever heard of uh, cognitive distortions? Well, thankfully, uh, <clears throat> thankfully we've got a, a clean slate then because you probably didn't take psychology in college. Some of us had to struggle through it. But there's a thing called cognitive distortions, and it's basically when the brain lies to you, <laughs> and they they just they give everything a name, you know, and uh, so cognitive distortions are thoughts that cause individuals to perceive reality inaccurately, and then this negative outlook on reality is a factor. symptoms of emotional dysfunction and poor subjective well-being. That's how it's described online, right? And then there's, they've got a million of them. Anything anybody does, they've they've got a name for it. You know. Just a few of them I listed here. (laughs) I got to laughing and I started just writing some of these down. One's called filtering. And um, that's when you just see No matter what's going on, you're going to pick out the negative aspect of it. And that's what you're seeing through that lens, so to speak, filtering. And one is polarized thinking. So it's either people are really hard on themselves. Is it either perfect or they can do it to others too, groups or whatever they're part of or themselves, anything they do. It's either perfect or an utter failure. There's no in between. You ever known anybody like that? Jumping to conclusions is another one. (laughs) they don't like me they don't like me just no matter what you know oh they just don't like me you never know anybody jump to conclusions about everything it's always a negative (laughs) catastrophizing that's the one that that's one of the reasons I started talking to the Lord about these things catastrophizing or magnifying the negative and expecting disaster, <laughs> and so what do they get? Mm. <laughs> Personalization. Everything's always about them or directed at them. Whether it's the preacher or the boss at work or a coworker, some people talking at the water cooler. It's about them. <laughs> control. Some people uh, have to. We have to control every aspect of everything we do. Of our lives, otherwise the guy 's falling again <laughs> fallacy of fairness always measuring everything by they have a concept uh, of what is fair and right, and so they 're measuring everything that they do and everything everyone else does by their concept of what is fair and right, and so they 're always going to be disappointed because life isn 't fair <laughs> there 's the blame game. Blaming others for their emotional pain, you know. I've, I've had a lot of family members that are dead now at early age. And uh, I, can, I can show you basically by knowing the Lord and, and not by judging but showing you how they, they crippled themselves because they blamed their life on somebody else. They never took responsibility and it caused all of the pain and suffering they brought upon themselves and it brought them to an early end. The shoulds, they hold others and their self to standards and uh, they're always mad. <laughs> the emotional reasoning people, they've. Uh, they uh, Then there's the ones with the fallacy of change. I don't know how to explain it to you emotional reasoning. You know that person. Fallacy of change, they expect others will change and, and agree with them by putting pressure on them or cajoling them. I'll give you an example. If we send $150 in cash and other currencies to a nation that calls for our death and hates us. They'll, they'll change and they'll be nice and they'll like us. <laughs> Global labeling, always being right, and then heaven's reward fallacy. And I'll talk about that more because I'm not going to finish with this today. <coughs> heaven's reward fallacy is thinking that you're earning your way to heaven. It's religion will do that to you. And it's legalism, sort of. You know. But people that don't know God think that all, all uh, Christianity is that way. So they would put us into that category. But if you truly have a relationship with Jesus, that's not your issue. You don't believe that. You believe Jesus earned it for you and there's nothing you can do to make it any better. It, God doesn't love you because you're lovely. He loves him because he's lovely. But there's a lot of cognitive distortions in this world today, wouldn't you say? It is crazy. I mean, it seems like you know, just waiting for the candid cameras to come on. Sometimes it's like this; not they can't, not even they can believe that. But some people believe it because when you believe a lie and hear the lie so long, it sounds like the truth. I remember one of the ministers that I used to sit under would say, "You're going to get so full of the truth that you won't be able to stand the lie." And I was like. Mm. Okay, and now I get it. You know, it's just like everything is like clawing on the, it's scratching on the chalkboard. You know, it's like, and you see the deception of the multitudes, and it doesn't make you any better. But it's just you just you just want everybody to know the truth. It's kind of like when you when you really get born again, and you're like, oh man, wait till everybody gets a load of this. Right? I got to tell everybody. And then they're not as excited about it as you are, and it's disappointing. <clears throat> and then you begin to suffer persecution. I always think about Paul when, when, uh, when uh, Paul lost his sight when he met the Lord for a time, and and he told him to go to a straight, street called Straight, and and uh, he meet this guy called Anas. and anyway, he would pray for him, and and so when the Lord told Anas that. Paul was coming, he was Saul of Tarsus, then he's like, no, (laughs) this guy's killing Christians, (laughs) and he's coming here to do worse, (coughs) and he was, he said, don't worry, he's, I got a hold of him now, but I'm going to show him the cost of bearing my name, you know, and sure enough, he ultimately paid the ultimate price, and was martyred, but uh, he paid a lot of, uh, a lot before that even, you know, But uh, we're all going to suffer persecution if we desire to live godly, upright lives in Christ Jesus. And if you're not ever suffering persecution because you're a a Christian, not because you're a complainer or a backbiter or uh, anything else that's ungodly, but because you're godly, then if you're never persecuted for that, no one ever comes against you for that, then you might want to take a look at your faith. You know, you never bump into the devil. It's because you're going the same direction. (laughs) (laughs) Psalm 33, verse 6 says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. Everything, the heavens, the universe, the planets, the sun, the stars, and everything that we know and are made by God's spoken word. You know? And Jeremiah 10.23, which I quote often, says, I know that people's lives are not their own. It is not for them to direct their steps. Jeremiah had a great revelation there. He came to terms with the fact that, hey, we're not, we're not supposed to be figuring this out, are we? We're not good at it. I get it. You're God and we're not. And we're not supposed to. We don't, our lives don't belong to us. And if we try to run them... We will make a mess of it every time, apart from God. That's why psychology and philosophy all end up with the wrong conclusions. Collusions. They collude and come up with the wrong conclusions. Why? Because some of the stuff, like if you read about all those aspects of... The filtering and the polarized thinking and the cognitive distortions. Wow, that's, that's very bright. And yes, those are real things. Well, it's not a disease. It's a And, and the problem with it, because we haven't gotten to the, their solutions, and I won't today, because it really doesn't matter. But I can tell you, when, when, when an answer doesn't point back to God and to Jesus specifically, it leads to man. And it's it's arrogance, it's pride, and it will end end up poorly. It will not take you to the desired end that you that you want. You know, and you need God. Without the word of God, we're helpless and hopeless. And there might be some good things, but there's just a little bit of leaven spoils the whole bunch. And so the enemy is not dumb. In, in the sense that he, I mean he's very dumb in the sense that he opposed God, but he's, he was beautiful and he was very smart and he knows this word better than we do, and he will tell you a lot of truth and just like he did in the garden, you know he didn't start out by by agreeing uh, or disagreeing with God completely. He he added that later, you know, and then he made it look like God was withholding something from them. And he got them to doubt God's goodness and his love for them. And that's how he deceived them. And that's the same thing that he's doing to the world today. Psalm 33, verse 6 says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. So when we receive the word, the same creative power that created everything is, becomes available to us. And God made us in his image, so we're creative beings as well. The spoken word is very powerful. I think it doesn't take you very long to be, uh, be discipled as a Christian to learn that, hey, there's a big thing to these words. Words mean something. And, uh, so, and everything you say is in seed form. It's like spitting watermelon seeds, you know, <laughs> except not all of them are watermelons. Everything is a seed because and God made everything in seed form. And in, within that seed, he put what? Creative power to reproduce after its own kind. So if I'm eating watermelon and I like it and I want some more, I just take the seeds out of it and I can go put them in the ground. And if I take care of the garden, I should be able to get some more watermelons out of that. But not tomatoes, not cucumbers. Because every seed is going to reproduce after its own kind. And it goes for the same with what we speak. It's like you've got God's angels sitting here. And fallen angels over here. And they're both waiting to be empowered by you. The devil has no power except what we give him. He's already been defeated. And all he can do is hope to deceive you into doing a little creating for him. Because you're the one with the real power. Jesus sat down. He gave his power to the church. And now, if the enemy can trick you into believing that, well, there's no real God or there's no hell or some of that stuff in that Bible doesn't apply or it's just an old book written by men about God and it's not relevant for today and God has evolved or here's the real God or we're all good, we're all going to the light. All that stuff is really from the devil. I'll go further than that. Half the, well, all the religions other than Christianity and then a great many who do Jesus plus or Jesus but not necessarily Jesus as God, they're just as much a cult as every other religion of the world. Yeah, I don't care if... uh, you're one that runs for president. But, you know, I'm sorry. But, the, you know, what, there's no secret societies with, with, with God. And if you're a Mormon, I'm sorry. God loves you. He wants you to be saved. But that's not going to save you. There are many aspects of Catholicism that are just as demonic as can be. Now, are there people sitting in Catholic church all over the country that are saved and love the Lord and have a relationship? Yeah. In spite of their religion. Uh, That's hard teaching maybe. But we all come from something. And we shouldn't be offended when we come to the truth. Because it's what will save us. Amen. Amen. The point is. That same power. That created everything. Comes to us. When you hear it. Even today. We need to be hearing it. And expecting good from God. Romans 12. 2. Paul beseeches us or basically is begging us the, I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. In other words, I just laid out all the wonderful things that God did and how he and how the Jews have been set aside for a moment so that you could be grafted in to the to the to the olive tree, so to speak. But watch out, since he, since he didn't uh, fail to cut off the natural branches, you don't think he won't cut off the engrafted branches if you don't continue in faith. And God has done all these wonderful things just to arrange to get us into the kingdom of God, into relationship. So, because of his mercies, I, I uh, uh, beseech you, To present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, your reasonable sacrifice, the King James says. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. So by the word of God, your mind is renewed, this soulish realm that has been misprogrammed by the world. And now that your spirit is born again and sealed with the, with the mind of Christ and knows this word and is always in agreement with God, we just need to come into agreement with it as well. But we need to keep this word ever before us. We have to get it in us because He says the Holy Spirit's going to come. It's good that I'm leaving. Jesus said, "Now, Father, will send the Holy Spirit, the promise, and He will be with you all the time, and He will teach you all things." And he will remind you of everything that I've said. Well, if we don't know what Jesus said, how's the Holy Spirit going to remind us of what he said? Do I need to remind you of this? Somebody tell you once in a while and you say, well, I never heard that before. How can you remind me? (laughs) So maybe you need to tell me, but you're not reminding me because I've never been told that before. (laughs) We need to expect good from God. And we need to know that he's good. Isaiah six three says that I will keep them in perfect peace. Whose mind is stayed on me. Because they trust me. Do you trust God? Do you believe that he's good? Do you believe that his peace is available? Do you believe that all the love, joy and peace. That you'll ever need for this whole life. You already have at your disposal. But we need to learn. How to. Grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. And I'm telling you, we have to start right here. First, you have to be born again, John three. 3. Unless you be born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. But once you are, everything that's concealed in this word from the world is, re- is revealed to you. It's hidden in here, not from you anymore, but for you. Isn't that comforting? Isaiah fifty five eleven. I just wrote, and I have a bunch of scriptures here, and I just kept piling on, and you know, I ended up with like five pages. Thank God, I only brought you one. Amen. <laughs> so it'll be a series. <laughs> Isaiah fifty five eleven, and I put this out of the King James because it seemed it captured it. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth? This is the, this is God speaking. So shall be my word that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, or empty, or without accomplishing its purpose. But it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing thereto I sent it. God's word will not return void. This book is alive and active. The word of God is alive and it is alive in you. And if you take it and you speak it in faith, it will accomplish the purpose for which it was sent. It will not return void. It will not, God's words do not fall to the ground. They are truth and they are powerful. But we need to believe that. You know the greatest thing Isaiah 55:11. You know if you if you go and you buy something you expect it to come with a warranty. Almost every manufacturer give you a warranty on everything you buy these days, right? And if it if it doesn't work, you take it back and you can you can get reimbursed for that, right? <laughs> Well, God has given us a written guarantee. We talk about the promises of God. And I encourage people to find the promises in the word that applies to your situation, to your hurt, to your need, and apply it, believe it, receive it, speak it, claim it. And Isaiah fifty-five eleven is a written guarantee from God to you regarding his word. So you mean he's saying... That if I find the word that applies by Jesus stripes, I was healed and I apply it to my life and I believe it. and Do not doubt. Jesus said, believe when you pray that you have received what you pray for and you will have it. So it seems backwards, but I submit to you that kingdom of God is a kingdom of opposites. Jesus said, it. Thomas said, I believe now that I've seen you. I believe. Remember Doubting Thomas? He said, I won't believe until I see him alive and I see the holes in his, his hole in his side and the in his hands and feet. And then Jesus appeared and let him see. And he said, here, put your hand in there. It's me. He said, my Lord, my God. He was saved right then. You believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, you will be saved. He was saved right then. But he needed something more. What did Jesus say? You're going to go. You guys are going to go. You're going to preach in Jerusalem and Samaria and all the parts of the world, everywhere. But don't say and do anything until you receive the promise that my Father promised. They needed the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And even though they had been with Jesus for three and a half years, they saw Him do great and mighty things and they knew His truth because they had heard it firsthand. They knew how to preach. They knew how to teach he had given them authority over the works of the enemy. And they'd gone out and healed people just like he had. And they were blessed by this. And he said, don't try it now. Wait. Wait until you see, receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And they got it. That 50th day, the day of Pentecost. And uh, then they turned the world right side up. Just a few people started that day, didn't they? John six sixty three, Jesus... Because that's the old covenant Isaiah 55:11 that promise that guarantee from God. Look what Jesus said in John 6:63. 6, the spirit gives life. The flesh profiteth nothing. Counts for nothing. The flesh is nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are spirit and they are life. God's word is full of the life that you need. And it's compartmentalized. Remember, everything's in seed form. So if I'm going to plant a garden and I want cucumbers and tomatoes and watermelons, I'm going to plant all three seeds, right? So if I only plant the one thing, though, and not the other, I will be lacking in the other. And it goes for us as well. We might, you know, you might be a a prosperity person, you know. Uh, And thank God, because if you're not a prosperity person, uh, preacher or believer, then, then you really don't understand the kingdom of God, because God says uh, there, as long as the world is here, there's going to be seed, time, and harvest, and, and everything's in seed form, and that's how he gets provision to his children. So we sow, we help to uh, cause the kingdom to be expanded and grow, and, and we sow into good ground and and then we have expectancy wrapped around that seed because he's going to bless it every time. I don't have my wallets over there, but I have a red cloth in there that my friend who has a worldwide uh, uh, missionary uh, ministry, he sent to me before my surgery and he had prayed over this cloth and I put it in my wallet. And now every week I get your offerings and I pray over them and I say, Lord, thank you for all of those who gave and those who wanted to give but couldn't. But Lord, I just ask for your blessing upon them. You bless this seed into the kingdom of God for your work. Multiply it for your work. And then, bless the seed and return seed to the sower. A hundred return. returns. I pray that over every offering. And I believe that God's going to do that. And that's just how it should be. So we, we need to... We need to trust God, and His—that's a spiritual law. And Jesus said, "If you don't understand this one, you're not going to understand any of my parables." That's why I, I minister on it because it's important. It's not a, a guilt trip or anything like that. It's not like in Malachi three. <coughs> see, I had I, Tavon and I. When, when, I guess when I told the Lord, I, what do you want me for? There's a preacher on every corner. They all disagree. What am I supposed to say? Okay, you have to teach me if you want me to do it. And he said, okay. So I went and did it. And I guess he said, when he told me, they're not what you think. And uh, so he took several years showing me. He put me into groups and organizations. And God bless them all. I was there to glean from what they did know, not to be critical of what they didn't. But there was plenty to be critical of. And we had some that would sit up there, and I mean, I remember we were, we, we were circling the drain. We had been quite wealthy, and then we were circling the drain, and this is seemed to be a cycle in my life, you know, <laughs> in my early years. But, uh, but even though we had, uh, well, I don't want to be too specific, but anyway, one time we came into it. One day I got a $60,000 check for something, and I mean, we couldn't wait to get to this pastor's house who was living in a house that I had given them to live in and, uh, and give them that $6,000 tithe check. And the church was in the house, you know. <laughs> but the same minister would preach if If some of you don't start doing more, God's going to bring hardship on you. This and that and the other and when I told him well, we were really struggling and I didn't know if we could please pay the bills in the house or pay the mortgage or would it be possible and he came back and told me uh, we were at a conference in Florida he told me God told me I shouldn't have to okay this is the kind of stuff and then went from there to another organization that sort of fought over me and uh, and uh, and then and then they elevated me up to this lofty position and uh but they they would minister the same thing from the pulpit, not directly to me, but to say, you know, if you don't give, uh, God's going to bring you know, take it out. God's going to get it one way or the other. If you don't give, He's going to take it out in doctor bills. Your transmission's going to fall out. Something like that. These are the kind of teachings that are prevalent in the body of Christ. Not only that, but I did, you know, I mean, I I had been out there in the world for a long time and I ain't much I hadn't seen and much I hadn't done and I was shocked when God began to show me that what he said about it's not what you think they're not what you think uh, by some of the things that I became privy to almost immediately about I mean we were there were times when we were hiding people in our church who were on the, running for their life from preachers Whose entire congregation would have the, would have killed them had they found them. He's your cult, and and also of situations where the minister was abusing everybody in the in the congregation, sexually, financially, and every other way. And I I was shocked, and I mean it took a lot to shock me. I used to be the kind of... Nothing you can tell me is going to surprise me. And I was surprised at some of the things. worse things. But... This word... Is what we need. Everything that seems good or godly is not. And everything... I don't care whether I tell you or an angel from heaven. is what Paul says. If I preach a different gospel than what is laid out in this book... And I should forever be accursed. And, you know, to take advantage of, of uh, the, the sheep that God has put in your care, I can't imagine a, a more severe punishment than what may come from that. But, I don't even know where I got off on this, but I'm talking about how important the word is and how deceived the world is. And you see... And then like, you know, simple things like the letter that I wrote, read to you that came from a very a place of, of, of care and concern, but it didn't come from a place of faith. No. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, and I understand. And then there's, there's things that take place that, you know, you might have to, you know, you'll get pressure from local authorities. And plus, if you've got a huge congregation like that, 90% of them aren't saved anyway. So you know, I, I get it. I'm not judging. I'm just saying, where was the, where was the mention of Jesus? Where was the mention of faith? Where was the mention of healing? Because that's what the church is for. Uh, ministers are called to raise the body of Christ up to the fullness of Christ, so that they can do the work of the ministry. You know, so something should be going on here and in every. From behind every pulpit in the nation and in the world, that's encouraging and inspiring you to say, "Hey, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna give God a try on this." And and you know, especially like on the giving, and I'm not—it's not a fundraising drive or anything like that. I'm just saying. But that's the one thing in, in the Bible where God says, "Try me and see." We're not really supposed to test God, but this is the place where He encourages people to test Him. See. It's talking about giving. He said, test me. Try me here and see if I don't open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing for you that is too big for you to have it. Can I just share one thing? Please. I have a pastor friend from Liberia. Yes. And his, when the Ebola was going through there, killing everybody, their neighbors, their friends were dropping left and right. They were in prayer in their church and nobody in their church was affected and people started coming to their church yes me too church and that's right and, and that's, that's good the kind of thing that we need to be talking about for sure yeah. John G West was a great minister i've got a a book it's one of those that's so intimidating that you don't read it because it's like <laughs> I want to get to that one of these days but <clears throat> Anyway, he was a great minister up in uh, Spokane, Washington. I think they need him up there now <laughs> because because he there was a, the plague was going on back then, and people were dying by, by the multitudes. Right, and he and he was uh, he would send his he would send his disciples, his parishioners out in pairs. With just a bottle of anointing oil. And a Bible. When people would call and they were infirmed or whatever they would do. House calls basically just like doctors do. And my great grandfather was a circuit preacher. And he you know, used to go around and he'd go here and there. And they'd give him chickens and stuff like that. But they, he would give them just a bottle of oil and the Bible. And say don't come back till they're healed. Um, Smith Wigglesworth who was... So a wonderful thing! People raised from the dead, blind eyes open, crippled walk, everything. He uh, he was the same way, and uh, he people would invite him uh, like across England. You know, it's a long trip. Everything was by train or whatever back then, and he would say he'd write them back and say, uh, "I I will consider coming if if you will if you will uh, promise that you're uh, willing to be healed, you know." And what he meant by that is, if I come, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna be in a room, and uh, I'm not leaving until you're healed. Right. Are you prepared for that? Right. And because of that, and 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 you know, he's the one that I, I, I may have told a story before, but he he read nothing. He couldn't read when he came to the to the Lord, and. He said that when, when he got saved, it broke the hearts of 17 saloon keepers. And uh, he, he uh, couldn't read. His wife taught him to read the King James Bible. And that's the only book he would allow in his house. A minister showed up at his doorstep one time who had traveled ways to, to come and visit him, admired him greatly and just wanted to glean from him. And uh, have him pour into him and maybe pray for him. Anyway, he knocked on the door. He introduced himself and he asked if he could come in. He had a newspaper rolled up under his arm. He said, you can come in, but that newspaper has to stay outside. (laughs) You see, there's this constant spiritual tug of war in our lives. And in our culture and in these times we live in this busy day to day. And all the news and everything that we, just things you can't hardly miss. uh, is always competing to against god uh, and against the truth of god's word the wisdom of the world is not accurate and it has us deceived and we suffer even as christians christians from a lot of these cognitive distortions that they call them i don't like to label anything because it's all a spiritual need everything everything i mean if you ever get around andrew uh womack who i've had the privilege of spending quite a bit of time with he he is a unique individual Oh, he's a he's a great man. He's uh, he lives in Colorado. He's from Arlington, Texas, but it's Karis Bible College, which is the uh, one that we're involved with, and uh, and I'm I'm the regional advocate for his uh, for Army, the Association of Related Ministers International, which is his ministries association. So I have t- this half of Texas and Alaska and Utah and some other. That's my region. Yeah. But his his he, he his son was five hours dead in the morgue, toe tag, toe tag on, in the cooler, and he's alive today and well. And he says, Andrew says, always oh, jokingly, he has no more brain damage than he ever did. That's cool. <laughs> That's, cool. That's very cool. His wife was raised from the dead. They, this is the one, Todd White was up there recently. He's a, he's a great evangelist these days. He has dreadlocks. I don't know if y'all you know him. He lives in Dallas now. But uh, he's really super cool. Todd White, check him out. Full of love of God, and he is, man, woo. But he was up there ministering at Andrews at Caris. Uh, it's in Woodland Park, Colorado. We usually try to go up every year, but since everything happened, I haven't been able to go up there for the last couple of years. But uh, anyway, they were having a, a meeting up there recently, and that's, uh, they brought a dead baby up to the stage. Just The woman just carried it right up to where Todd was preaching, and he just took it in his arms and gave it back to him alive. And, uh, so these are these are things that not even don't even surprise anybody around around there that you know it's and it should be the normal for us the problem is it's uh, you know it's it's unbelief so there's a constant spiritual tug of war and when Jesus came down from the Mount of Transfiguration and there was the epileptic, epileptic epileptic boy there with his daddy who brought him to be healed and he was upset because he said that your disciple I brought him and your disciples can't heal him and he was being, you know, the, that demon would seize him. That's a, that's a demon, you know. Just, just like arthritis and everything else. Matter of fact, if you were talking to Andrew, he's like, arthritis, that's one of the easiest demons to get rid of. <laughs> I mean, he just talks like that. And that's just, you know, that's just the truth. I mean, he's, this is a guy that's never had a cup of coffee in his life or said a cuss word. But he was in Vietnam. And when the bu- bullets were whizzing over his head, he was like, Lord, this is awesome. I might get to meet you today. That's how, how much he wow. loves God. You know? <laughs> and he was praying for the guys. He could see the Muslim flashes and he was praying for them too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, where was I? Hebrews 4.12 For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The word of God is what helps sort out these cognitive distortions. Without it, we can't. That simple. Why? Because you're starting with the wrong baseline. You know, if you, if you go to build a house and you, you start, you put the wrong, the corner stone eight inches off, that whole house is going to be off. There are scientific truths that they knew for many, many years until Einstein came up with the, the new formula. <laughs> they changed everything. You know, the theory of relativity. I mean, and and they'll change again. I guarantee you global warming is not what they think. And the arrogance of man, first of all, even if it... To think that we're the ones that can fix everything you know, to have these children terrified that the world's coming to an end. And so now they're embracing suicide and all kind of other... See, all the other demonic stuff attaches itself once there's a lie. You build on a lie and now there are are people, there are young people, beautiful young people who would kill you over an animal or a tree or the right to kill a baby when they're this far along. Mm-hmm. And it's all because this is all messed up. Their soulish realm has, is broken. It's fractured. And they need the word of God. Because this is the only truth that's going to combat the lie. So the word of God is alive and active. Sharper than any 2 edged sword. Why does it mention that it's... Let me see... Piercing even like it, it can even do this if I tell you something could even do this that means that this thing I'm talking about is a big thing for it to be able to do you know I'm trying to tell you how great something is and it even does this right that's a big thing oh wow well it's saying it can even piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit why is that hard why is that important because sometimes we think our thoughts are from God and they're not. Our soulish realm, our mind, our will, our emotions, our personalities, we think something's good and sometimes it's not God. This word will help to divide that rightly for you, correctly divide that and to help you get straightened out, which is God's goal. Without it, only deception. Deception. And I know people who have built their lives on such lies that now you can't even approach them about it. And what have they done? Some of them just hate God and openly, but others have found churches that agree with the lie. And it's not a church, not the real church, but they are comfortable enough because they found enough like-minded believers are believers in their way to make them feel okay, because that conscience has really, really bothered them for a long time until they found the their itching ears found the minister that they needed to tell them what they wanted to hear, and that's what God says is going to happen in the end times. It's all written in this book. So, whenever the word comes whether it comes to our spirit, our soul, or our body, it's going to do us good if we allow it. That's God's promise. That's God's guarantee. But it depends. It depends. Let me read this scripture to you. First Thessalonians 2.13. I'll read it from the NIV. And we also thank God continually because when you... Received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. So he's speaking to a group of believers who have received Christ, who have received the word of God, and he's he's congratulating them because, first of all, these are the requirements. And he's congratulating them that they received it as God's word and not as word of a man. And that's the first thing that we have to do. We must receive it as God's word, not man's. And then secondly, we have to receive it in faith. We have to believe it. That's what he said. It says, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. Not It's not at work in everybody, even though it's always the truth. It doesn't change. But we have to... There has to be a faith response, doesn't there? And then the third thing, then then, once we believe it as God's word and not as man's word, and then we receive it by faith, then it performs or does what God desires it to do, which is good. God is good, devil is bad. So the thing is, but do we believe it? Do we trust God with that? Because without those things, it, it won't. I keep them in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on me, because they trust me, because they love me. But also, there are moral requirements for our lives, and this is, this is where it can get a little touchy sometimes. Because the church today has been taught that it's all about grace, and there's no requirements of them. Well, you, you have a relationship you have a friendship or an intimate relationship or a marriage that is one-sided and you tell me how long and how well that works. And you tell me that you're fulfilled in that and you tell me that it's not hurtful to that other person. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be amazed if you can prove that to me because I know because of the word of God that it takes two And in this particular case, I'm talking about God and you. You can learn a whole lot from me. Thank God. It's nothing special about me. It's just that I caught on fire for God when I found out how much the devil had used me in this world. And I hated him for it. And I asked God to help me. I wanted to fight for him. I wanted to know the truth. I wanted to take what's left me. Of my life. And do good with it. And he called me to. To share his word. To be the conduit. So. And as much as I. Have come to know him. And to. And to know his word. I can bring you. That far. And that's a good thing. <clears throat> but there are moral requirements. In our lives. If we want to get the full benefit. Of God's word. And. I'm just going to use scriptures to show you this so that we can see together James 121 and I'm almost done here. James 121 and I I use something called the Bible Hub sometimes when I don't want to have 15 Bibles open in front of me just because I'm looking at all the translations and as long as they're accurate sometimes the wording can really grab hold and and, and and really grasp the uh, the intent, I, I, I believe, that the, the Holy Spirit is trying to make. I said that to say this, in uh, this James 1.21, I wrote down the Berean Study Bible, which you may not even be familiar with, but it says, verse 20, I'll back up. For man's anger does not bring about the righteousness that God desires. He's telling us how to live our lives and that we're not... You know, our battle isn't against flesh and blood. That's one of the most important and first things a Christian needs to find out. As long as we're getting mad at people and holding them... Accountable and judging and being bitter, it's going to hold us in prison. And we, that that right there hinders our prayers, and it's going to stop the, the flow of what God is trying to do in our life, the light and the love that He's trying to produce in our in our hearts. Okay, so he, James is explaining this that man's anger doesn't bring about the righteousness that God desires. Verse twenty one is where I was going. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth. And every expression of evil, and humbly receive the word implanted in you, which can save your souls. Then he says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, otherwise you are deceiving yourselves. So if you if you are if you're receiving this word and you're shouting and saying amen, and then you walk away and go do the same old thing that's opposed to what you just learned, then you're just deceiving yourself if you say that you or a true disciple of Jesus. Jesus said, "If you love me, you'll abide in my word. That means just remain in my word. You'll 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 keep it ever before you. You'll and as, as you grow in it, there's all levels of Christians from baby infants all the way to toddlers and on the uh, to to full adulthood. And, and and we want all kinds. We want everybody. We want those that are just looking through the window to see if if I go in there, is they, are they going to hurt me? Like that church I grew up in you know. We love them too. We want them to come on in. And we want them to see that hey this isn't going to hurt. It's just. <laughs> it might rub against some of the rough areas of your life. But God's just trying to smooth it out for you. If you'll let him. <laughs> but. If so what, what does the scripture expound on. First put away filthiness and wickedness. That's just. That just should go without saying. But when you come to really know the Lord. One of the things that that got a hold of me when Jesus got a hold of me is I, I didn't want to I, I, and I found out he had a soul like I do a mind and will and emotions and he, he can be hurt You know, I, I'm like Lord I don't want to do it I, my whole life has been offensive it's been offensive to me I know it's been offensive to you I don't want to hurt you anymore and I don't want to misrepresent you and I see what you're saying you know he took me on that journey and showing me how uh, sometimes ministry is ministers are not his and so forth things like that. I know that must hurt him because it's hurting his people, you see. And I said, I don't want to do that. I don't want to. I don't want to be the one to to uh, to do more harm than good. You know, I know one guy that his his pastor said, yeah, he's brought four thousand people to this church, and then he offended every one of them with his life. <laughs> you know, I don't want to be that guy. first of all that's not who we are anymore if we're born again we don't have that corrupt nature of satan in us anymore we have the nature of god so we should there should be something an unction calling us deeper into something better right we should want to shake off some of that old stuff and second of all it it hurts our witness right and um Anyway, for those reasons, I I want it to be better. And so we should get rid of those things. God will will change your language. He will change your your mouth. He will put a guard over your mouth. You might have to pray for years. Lord, oh, dang it. Lord, just sew this thing up, Lord, until I can get it right. You know? And the second thing is to humble yourself. He says, "Humble, Humbly receive the word implanted in you. There's that part again. You humble yourself and you receive. And then the word which is implanted like a seed. Will take root and bear fruit. Like I always say. It's simple. Simple, simple farming. Don't listen to Mike Bloomberg about this. Because it's not as simple as he says. Because we know that it it requires more than just, uh, you know, because today, I mean, if it's like he said, we we dug a hole and and I planted the seed and uh, now you don't have to worry about it anymore. You'll be perfect from now on, right? Okay, so it's not that simple because we have a part to play. We have to tend that garden. We have to keep the weeds out. We have to watch out what goes in these eyes and ear gates and we have to keep watch over what we're using our words to create in our lives. We're creating our future today with the words that we speak. And we have to really believe that and get a hold of it. And so if that's the case, what do we always want to be speaking? The word of God. I was just affectionately joking with somebody earlier. Somebody, somebody's sick. And we say that a lot, don't we? so and so sick. Please don't ever stop there again. As of today, if you get nothing else out of this, don't ever stop right there. But, but God, I mean, this isn't Christian science. We're not going to deny if somebody cuts our arm off from that. that's not my arm. That's not Christian or science, of course. We understand things try to come against us. It's not against the law to to mention it. But we don't want to glorify the devil too much. We want to move on past that and say, but by Jesus' stripes, I'm healed. But no plague shall come nigh by my dwelling, near, nigh my dwelling. The Lord rebuke you, Satan! Get your hands off my wife! Get your hands off my family! I sat with Tavana this morning. She had to work today, but you know we sat there and as we had a cup of coffee, I read I read fifty scriptures on healing out loud into our into our environment. I created apostolic environment in our home over my wife, a covering of the Word of God. And you know what? That blesses her. She feels safe. She feels comfortable. She loves that. Because she feels like she drove off to work in the arms and the shadow of God's wings, you see. And her husband did that. Because that's my job. You know, we need to take these things serious. Not as a religious thing, but as a relationship. Why am I excited about it? Not because I did anything. But because God... And his wisdom has taught me that that's what I'm supposed to do. And when I do it and believe it, that his word is not going to return void, then all that scripture is out there. It's a covering. It's protection, a guidance, a a healing and provision, blessing, prosperity. And you know what? Tavana gets to work and... She will count all these little girls working under her, and she's always telling them, You need Jesus, and she, you need to stop that, and you need to quit saying this, and you need to do this, and Jesus loves you. She's doing her own little thing, you see. Here's the question, and we're finished. <laughs> will you agree to be God's chosen student? What does that mean? Psalm twenty-five, and then we're done. Psalm twenty-five, uh, verses eight. I start with verse eight. There's a few scriptures. Psalm twenty-five, verse eight and nine. The voice of the Lord shakes. No, that's the wrong. That was Psalm 29. <laughs> Psalm 25. Okay. Verse 8. Good and upright is the Lord. We can all agree on that. Amen? Amen? And then there's a semicolon. He wants to expound on that statement. He says, Therefore, because he's good, because he's upright, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. God is so good and so upright and righteous. He loves you and he wants to instruct you and me in the way. Remember, Christianity, before we had it named Christianity, was just called the way. Verse 9, he leads the humble. Not everybody, not anybody. God selects his students. And he has some requirements, believe it or not. This is not legalism. This is a pure deal fact. I have never seen the Holy Spirit work with someone inside of their pride. He will work with us to overcome it. I mean, because it takes humility to say, Lord, I'm I'm like a doggone onion. I got so many layers of pride, I don't even know where to ask you to start. But would you please? Beautiful prayer. That's a great prayer. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. His way is perfect. His way is powerful. His way is love, joy, and peace. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Go to verse 12. Who is the man who fears the Lord This is a reverent awe and respect for God, not a fear of punishment or judgment. You never have that from God. He punished Jesus for your sins. Okay, that makes us love him more. Who is the man who fears the Lord, who has this reverent awe and respect for God? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. Isn't it nice to have God be choosing our way and our path? He says, your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. And I love the promises in verses 13 and 14. His soul talking about yours, this student of his who God has chosen because he has humbled himself and come to him. He's, ch- he's teaching him now. He's, I'm going to instruct you in, in the way and what is right and... and uh, and the way that you should choose. And then verses 13 your soul shall abide in well being, and your children too included. Look, he, he not, he's, not, he's not just going to bless you. His soul shall abide in well being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. You're never going to outgive God. You take a step toward him, he'll run three towards you. Look at the look at the story of the good samaritan when the when the boy basically asked his father to drop dead and took half his inheritance before the dad died which was against the law he should have had it he could have had him stoned at the city gates because he was rebellious that was one of the laws instead he gave him the money he went off and spent it on hookers and drinking and and was in the pig pen <laughs> working for somebody in that country he had gone to And nobody would even give him the pods that he fed to the pigs. And he was so hungry and he said, I'll just go home to my father and ask if I can just work for him, be a servant. I won't ask, I don't expect to be a son anymore. But when he came home, the father was watching for him. From a long way off, he saw him and he ran. You know, in that culture, the older men do not dignify to run. He had to pick up his thing. He ran to that boy and he embraced him. He put a ring, a signet ring. That's authority. Put shoes on his feet. Remember when Moses went into the presence of God? Take your shoes off. You're on holy ground. Put shoes on his feet. Give him the robe. Kill the fatted calf. Let's party. He was dead and he's back. God loves us and he wants us to know him, to come to him, to learn from him. He gets so excited about being in relationship with us. It's what we're created for. And when we get excited about it, which we will. If we believe that he really means us well. He's not trying to take anything from me. I never knew anybody that came to the Lord in truth. In relationship. Not religion. I've known people that have been hurt by religion. And religious settings. And, and wrong doctrine. You know. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people that really catch on fire for God. And, and have come to know him and love him. Like, like, like I did. And learn how deceived I was before. And how oh. So, ooh, man, it makes me mad now. Just love God and I thank him for what he did when he could have just let me perish, saved me so many times. But it's so fun just to know him because you can trust him. He's got a track record, faithfulness. Every morning before my feet hit the floor, I raise my hands to the heavens. I praise him and I thank him for his love and faithfulness. And then I pray in the Spirit, because I don't know what to pray all the time. And the Holy Spirit does. And that's how I start my day, every day. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your precious Word. Thank you for showing us the importance of it, that it's alive and active. And it will help us, Lord, in all the things, and all the ways, and the thoughts that, that we have or learned, that are maybe not quite in agreement with you, Lord. And they, without us knowing it, have caused some things to go shipwreck in our lives. Some of our wrong thinking. And it's caused wrong actions on our part. So we we just choose to repent today, Lord. just means to change our minds and change our direction regarding those things and turn towards You. And we know that You're going to meet us right there. And that You'll continue to help us and grow us and to show us Your way. And the way that we should go. And we know that that's going to be good for us. And we love you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. amen.